Hello and welcome to The Reader Podcast. My name is Frances and I work for The Reader, which is a national charity bringing thousands of people together every week all over the UK in order to experience and enjoy great literature through shared reading. Something a little different for this episode. And perhaps this one is particularly suitable for anyone listening out there who is out Christmas shopping, getting and spending and feeling low on inspiration. Of course, I would say this, but I do believe there's not really any better present than passing on a book that you have loved, carefully chosen, with your recipient in mind. So, this episode is a readerly gift and a readerly gift guide. A few reader staff members, whose voices may be familiar from earlier episodes of this podcast, are here with recommendations of books that might suit a particular need or a particular person. Perhaps something they suggest will appeal to you the most and suggest to you something to read over the busy holidays. All the following recommendations and more, drawn from past posts and articles in the Reader magazine, can be found now on the Reader website and all the books can be purchased from the Reader's Bookshop on bookshop.org. More about that later. Let's go now to Claire Ellis, who's recommending a book from this year's Reader Bookshelf, which is perfect for anyone who takes respite from being outdoors. You wouldn't think it would be possible, would you, to have the willpower to do this? This is what one of my group members said as we were reading The Salt Path Together by Raina Wynn. In this memoir, Raina and her husband Moff have just had some devastating news. Moff has been diagnosed with a terminal illness. They are also given the news that they've lost a very lengthy court battle over the family farm and have now been rendered homeless. While the bailiffs are knocking on the door to gain access to the family home, Raina, hiding under the stairs with Moff, spots a book from her twenties. Five hundred mile walkies. The story of the man who walked the southwest coast path with his dog. Suddenly she decides maybe they could do the same as a way of going forward somehow. The enormity of this task sets in well before the walk, though. As Raina recalls, packing a rucksack when you're 50 just isn't the same as when you're 20. And the effects of the illness are already beginning to seep into moth. So much so that he needs Rainer to put the backpack on for him and the weight of it is nearly soul-destroying. And yet, they still decide to do this walk and they will only have £48 each week to survive on. Rainer reflects back on their setting out. She says, we stood together like a pair of stranded turtles. 
the air had cracked. We left ourselves on the other side of a void that we could never cross. Running from the rupture in someone else's shell. Just driving away. And ahead of us, the walk. The only walk. I think I'd give this book to anyone who needs a good strong gust of fresh sea air to enter into their lives. I would give it to someone who was perhaps struggling to find hope and motivation in life and needed a way to have their belief in the power of the human spirit to be restored and also a very practical way of how to find it again for themselves. And I'm glad that I was able to give it to my 92-year-old group member who discovered that what we might think of as impossible might yet be doable. Sometimes at the end of a long day, it can feel like too much of an effort to get back into the book you currently have on the go. I think this collection is great for such moments. There's a few books out there that go by the same title, but this edition of Bedtime Stories for Stressed Out Adults was published by Hodder and Stoughton in 2018. There's a lovely familiarity to many of the choices in this selection of stories and poems, along with some titles that are completely new to me. But the way the collection is put together makes me feel that any of these could be manageable. It's a book that I genuinely feel I can pick up and dip into. A few highlights. I really enjoyed being drawn in by the repetitive pattern of Andrew Lang's East of the Sun, West of the Moon. There's that familiar sense of threat that seems to lurk inside many a fairy tale. But events are also so unexpected that it feels possible to leave behind the worry of that threat, even as you acknowledge it. And there's another tiny encounter in Anton Chekhov's story, The Beauties, that made me smile. It describes an artillery officer who had been my fellow traveller, an intelligent, cordial and sympathetic fellow, as people mostly are whom we meet on our travels by chance and with whom we are not long acquainted. I think it's that permission in this book to not have to be long acquainted with anyone or anything that offers a little relief. But there's the chance too to be reminded of people and books with which we have been acquainted either in the near or distant past, with extracts from The Secret Garden, Anne of Green Gables, Alice in Wonderland, The Wind in the Willows and The Diary of a Nobody. Hi, I'm Lisa and I'm the Teaching and Learning Coordinator at The Reader. My recommendation for a book for the person who is busy, in demand 
rushing about and needs 15 minutes of calm reflection in their day is consolations, the solace, nourishment and underlying meaning of everyday words by David White. Consolations takes 52 words that all of us encounter in our lives and offers a reflection of three to four pages on each, which is ideal for someone who doesn't have a lot of time in their day or perhaps doesn't have the headspace to commit to a whole novel or long story, but still wants to and values the time to do some reading, particularly for emotional fuel and connection. The words chosen vary from the hopeful, celebrated and comforting, such as beauty, friendship, gratitude and solace, to those which we might find more difficult to confront, but are likely to have to face at some point, like alone, despair, pain and regret. In the instance of these harder-to-deal-with words, consolations helps the reader to find new perspectives, or perhaps to simply have the courage and confidence to start to acknowledge these words and the feelings and experiences that come with them. Speaking for myself, as someone who has always been interested in words and their meanings, consolations is fascinating for the fact that it can provide something new about a word I've used thousands of times before. It also creates space to think, reflect, wonder and breathe. To say, I've never thought of that. Or, conversely, that's just how I feel about this. It's a book that can be picked up at any time read for as long or as little as needed, and returned to time and time again. A perfect book to keep by the bedside or in your bag, and to give yourself a little me time, and the chance to feel consoled in a world that can often feel too hectic, and where the finer details are skipped over. I'll leave you with a little quote from one of the reflections on courage. To be courageous is to seat our feelings deeply in the body and in the world, to live up to and into the necessities of relationships that often already exist, with things we find we already care deeply about, with a person, a future, a possibility in society all with an unknown that begs us on, and always has begged us on. To be courageous is to stay close to the way we are made. With her arms outstretched and her hands covering one of his, her silence grew out into the kind of delicate pause that is called for when the other person is in deep mourning. 
and minor gestures are meant to offer some portion of unattainable solace. That was a line from a book called The Unnamed by Joshua Ferris and it's one of my favourite books I've read this year. It's about a lawyer from New York called Tim who lives with his wife Jane and their teenage daughter. Tim has a very unusual affliction where he goes through periods of time in which he can't stop walking. He could be in court defending a client or having dinner with his family and without warning he will suddenly get up and begin walking, often for miles and miles in no particular direction and with no idea how to stop it. Tim has tried everything he can think of to try and stop it and he's had many medical examinations but no doctors are able to explain this problem or more importantly, find a cure for it. One day, Tim sets out on a walk that lasts for months and that jeopardises his family, his career and even brings severe risk to his own life as he frequently passes out from exhaustion and succumbs to harsh weather conditions. The mental and emotional strain of this, of course, extends to his worried family, waiting at home for him to return or to receive a dreaded phone call to inform them of some terrible news. The thing that struck me most in this book was the many ways in which Tim's family and friends try to take care of him and protect him from himself. Jane especially exhausts every single possible way to try and help and not let Tim give up on himself. It really is an unimaginable place to be in, but still spoke to me of the power and strength that can be found when looking after someone who's in a desperate situation. So I would recommend this as a gift to give to that person in your life who cares and stands close by when things get tough, as this book truly demonstrates how doing just that can be the most difficult and overwhelming thing in the world. And that it's okay to feel a multitude of emotions whilst doing it. And that we can't always be strong and resilient. Sometimes that bit of respite is needed. And I think this book showed me that in a way I never expected. There's a lot under the surface of life. Everyone knows that. A lot of malice and dread and guilt and so much loneliness where you wouldn't really expect to find it either. Hello, I'm Katie and I work for The Reader in the Teaching and Learning team. I'm sharing the book Gilead by Marilyn Robinson this is a book that I love. I think it's the perfect gift at any time of year. Um, I'm always picking up extra copies to give to people. In particular, I think it would be perfect for someone who cares and stands by in tough times. 
Gilead begins with the Reverend John Ames towards the end of his life, beginning a letter to his young son, a letter that he intends for him to read when he's a grown man. You might have a very different life from mine and from the life you've had with me, and that would be a wonderful thing. There are many ways to live a good life. There's a sort of meandering quality to the passages as one idea triggers a memory and the memory sparks reflection. But I think that feeling also comes from the way that reading it helps us travel through time over the course of a life and beyond across generations of the same family and in some senses also ahead to the next life which feels so close to Ames. A wide angle view, if you like, taking in a great expanse. But then suddenly it feels like we're zooming right into the intricate details of everyday life that can so easily pass us by without consideration. Joy, regret, beauty and sadness are all here. And time. Time to pause for a moment and explore under the surface of life. As much as Ames begins with the intention of telling his son all about his own life, his story quickly becomes bound up with the people he loves and we find ourselves drawn into their stories too. Most powerfully and perhaps unexpectedly with that of Jack Borton, his best friend's son his own godson, professional black sheep, source of both heart-wrenching grief and deep-rooted love. This morning, I saw Jack Borton walking up toward the bus stop, looking too thin for his clothes, carrying a suitcase that seemed to weigh almost nothing, looking a good deal past his youth, looking like someone you wouldn't much want your daughter to marry, looking somehow elegant and brave. For me, the moments of heart-stopping, that's so true kind of recognition in this book, lie in the relationship between these two characters. It's so hard to explain because it encompasses all the complex, broken shards of a relationship that's been badly fractured and cannot be simply fixed. But there's a startling beauty in the struggle to understand and love someone who's so different from you, even in the moments where it feels easier to simply give up. I think it's one of the best pictures of what it means for us to be human with all our best intentions and our stumbles. I could say much more, but I'll stop there except to say that if the recipient of your gift enjoys Gilead, the great news is that it is the first in a series of four books, all set in the same town and around the same time, but told from different perspectives. So it has the potential to lead on to other great gift ideas. 
Hi, my name is Erin and I'm here to give my gift suggestion for the person in your life who writes, creates, experiments, and thinks afresh. So over the last month, I've been upcycling a set of chairs, uh, giving them a paint job and reupholstering them. And during this project, I've been reminded of a book called The Beauty of Everyday Things, which is a collection of essays written by Yanagi Suetsu. And it's this book that I want to recommend today. In these essays, Yanagi Suetsu encourages us to appreciate the beauty of everyday things in our lives, to recognize the sincere craft and use of a thing as the true core of its beauty. In the first essay of the collection, he writes that we no longer look upon objects as we used to, which is undoubtedly due to their poor quality. In the past, everyday objects were treated with care, with something verging on respect. While this attitude may in part have been the result of scarcity of goods in past times, I believe it principally resulted from the honest quality of their workmanship and the fact that the more an object was used, the more its beauty became apparent. As our constant companions in life, such objects gave birth to a feeling of intimacy and even affection. When I first read this, I was caught off guard by this idea of affection for the objects in our lives, assuming this to be the problem of materialism. But in the last month, as I've worked on these chairs, paying attention to them in a way that I haven't before, I've, I've come to appreciate their function and to think of them not just as objects. Their beauty isn't just in how they look or in how I hope they'll look once they're finished, but in their function of building a space to share meals, a space to work, space to create. And this has led me to wonder that perhaps a way to be less materialistic is to pay more care to the upkeep and quality of the materials around me. As well as inspiring me as I work on this project, I've found these essays thought-provoking as we enter the holiday season. I know that I, for one, can get caught up in the pressure of giving something out of obligation rather than the careful thought of the thing and the use it will be for the person that I'm giving it to. So, for the person who writes, creates, experiments, or thinks afresh, I recommend The Beauty of Everyday Things. It was given to me as a gift, and it has inspired me to think with more care, not only about the things in my life, but also in what I create and do. And I hope that it can be an inspiration for somebody in your life, too.
Hi there. My name is Rachel and I work in the communications team at The Reader. For the person in your life who writes or creates, I would recommend A Swim in a Pond in the Rain by George Saunders, which is a book I have read and loved this year. George Saunders is a sci-fi author and also a creative writing professor. In this book, he's pulled together a collection of Russian short stories by great writers, including Tolstoy, Chekhov and Turgenev, that he's taught in his creative writing classes. It gives a really special insight into the craft of the short story, whilst also holding your hand as the reader to help you uncover some of the hidden gems within the stories. I would absolutely recommend this for anyone who's interested in reading about writing, or who might have felt daunted at trying to read Russian literature alone. Many thanks to Claire, to Lisa, Jamie, Katie, Erin and Rachel for sharing their bookish Christmas recommendations. Let's go now to the founder and director of The Reader, Jane Davis. The most read book of the year for me has to be James Baldwin's The Cross of Redemption, Uncollected Writings, edited by Randall Kennan, published by Vintage. I bought the book because I wanted to spend some time reading the essay Why I Stopped Hating Shakespeare, which um, I would say I've spent a lot of time with this year. And in that essay, Baldwin starts by saying he, like many of us, was a victim of that loveless education which causes so many schoolboys to detest Shakespeare. Later on in life, of course, he challenged himself to overcome that detestation. And because he was committed to truth, he also began to realise that one of the reasons he hated Shakespeare was he was afraid of him and he was afraid that Shakespeare threatened his place as a writer, the greatness of Shakespeare. Finally, in the essay, he kind of acknowledges that Shakespeare is the greatest poet in the English language and he says wonderfully, he found his poetry where poetry is found, in the lives of the people. He could have done this only through love, which is not the same thing as understanding dot, dot, dot. So that, I think, is probably also true of Baldwin a lot of the time. He's trying to address his fellow human creatures in a loving way. He ends the essay by saying that Shakespeare, as a poet, was called upon to defeat all labels and complicate all battles by insisting on the human riddle. And for me, um, returning to the essay quite a lot of times, that has been a fantastic um, call to action over the last year. Highly recommended. And the title essay is also brilliant. James Baldwin, The Cross of Redemption. Last but not least, you'll be hearing more from the writer and critic Tomiwa Owolade in a future episode of this podcast. For now, he's kindly contributed one final recommendation. The best book I've read this year is The Free World, Art and Thought in the Cold War. It is by Louis Menon, the New Yorker writer. The Free World is a cultural history of America during the Cold War years. It is set between 1945 and 1970. 
and it features, amongst other important historical people and periods, George Orwell, The Beatles, Abstract Expressionism, Susan Sontag, James Baldwin, Norman Mailer, and also the film Bonnie and Clyde. So if you're interested in the Cold War, or the cultural history of the Cold War, or if you're just interested in beautiful and elegant prose on cultural matters, then I strongly recommend The Free World, Art and Thought in the Cold War by Louis Menond. I hope there's been a book amongst those recommended which has taken your fancy or sparked your interest. As I mentioned at the start, if you visit bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash the reader, you can buy these books and discover more recommended titles from our gift guide. And a percentage of the sale goes towards supporting the work of the reader. You can find all the links in the description of this episode. And if you're based in Liverpool, don't forget to drop in in real life to the reader shop at Calderstones which is looking particularly festive and welcoming at the moment. That's it for this special Christmas episode of the Reader Podcast. We'll be back in the new year for more conversation, recommendations and shared reading. Thanks, as always, to Chris Lynn for sound production and to the Reader's core funders, Arts Council England, the National Lottery Community Fund, the players of the People's Postcode Lottery, and the Steve Morgan Foundation. Finally, many thanks to you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. As a reward for listening this far, here's a poem. For Maya by Gary Johnson A little girl is singing for the faithful to come ye, joyful and triumphant. A song she loves. And also the partridge in a pear tree. And the golden rings. And the turtle doves. In the dark streets. Red lights and green and blue. Where the faithful live. Some joyful some troubled, enduring the cold and also the flu, taking the garbage out and keeping the sidewalk shoveled. Not much triumph going on here. And yet, there is much we do not understand. And my hopes and fears are met in this small singer holding onto my hand. Onward we go, faithfully, into the dark. And are there angels hovering overhead? Hark! Till next time, goodbye.